You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So this morning, I want to invite you, it feels great to be back to a place that we love very much and has been such a part of our lives. I want to invite you to the book of Colossians chapter 3. We're in the second week of a three-week focus called Grace, Not Law, focusing on marriage and parenting. So we're going to do three weeks on marriage. Then after Memorial Day, we will circle back around for three weeks on parenting. So to begin, I have a folder I keep on my computer of helpful information. I'll receive an email or I'll see a blog and there'll be some important information that, that I read and I kind of take that just so that I can remember. I don't want to forget it. And so I wanted to help us all this morning thinking of marriage and, and men and women. I've got five things for women and five things for men to help us understand each other. So men, I'm going to start with you. Five things that you need to know about women, especially your wife. Five things. Number one is women don't mind if you look in the mirror to check your appearance. In fact, they say, please do. The second thing is women tell us, please don't drive when you're not driving. Number three, she can tell when your mother picked out her gift. So she could probably tell if you did that for Mother's Day. Number four, she wants to look nice for you. So don't tell her that every option looks the same. She wants to know what you think. And number five, she is not your mother. Do not expect her to baby you. And my wife took my notes and wrote, love Marla. She really did. That's what it says. <laughs> All right, so women, I, I want to help you with understanding us and your husband. We like to grill because we will cook if danger is involved. If fire's involved, flames, we're there. Number two, we're so confident that if we concentrate enough that we can really help our team on inside that television to do better. If we concentrate, that can happen. Number three, and I've yet to meet a man that would not agree with this, we're afraid of the eyelash curler. We don't understand it. Do you want to just come at a guy with it and watch what happens? Number four, men, we forget everything. Women, remember everything. That's why there's instant replay in sports to remind us we forget. And here's the last one, best one. The best way to get a man, ladies, to do something is to suggest he's too old for it. You need something done, you need something, just say, oh, that's, you're probably too old for that. So we come at this from very different perspectives. And so we're going to look at this idea of grace and not law. And what is so wonderful about this series, we have titled it in marriage and parenting, but the truth we're going to see today transcends all your relationships. Those you have with your children, your coworkers, your parents, your neighbors. What we're going to see today, it transcends all relationships, especially the people that you are sitting around this morning. But we'll do this. We're going to look at this in its context. We're going to see who Paul was writing to, what was going on. And then at the end, I'll apply it to the area of marriage. 
So Colossians chapter 3, let me kind of give us some background to understand what is going on in, with Paul here. So he's writing this letter to Colossae, and he's in prison in Rome. And Paul's never seen, never visited this church. But there's a man named Epaphras that came to Ephesus to hear Paul teach and to preach. And he hears the news of the gospel, and he, he believes and he responds to that. And his life is changed. Travels back to his home city of Colossae and he plants a church. Doesn't take long that some false teaching began rising up in the church. And he sought counsel and so he writes to Paul saying, Paul, help us understand what we should be doing according to this false teaching that's happening in the church. And this is what was happening. It's called asceticism, which actually you can see it almost anywhere. Asceticism is this belief that Jesus is great, he's good, he's a, a good man, he is one you should follow. But if you really want to be fully accepted by God, it is all based on what you do. And the, the ones that are really good, that are fully accepted, they are, go through a severe self-discipline of every area of their lives. They do without every type of indulgence. And they live the strictest life they can. And those, they would pride themselves on that. And that is what they would show is that's how you're really accepted. Is if you can follow these commands, this law. And Paul writes back to say, no, that you've gotten it all wrong. That you are not accepted based on anything that you do. That is simply law. You're, you're accepted by God, by what the scriptures call grace. And let me tell you about that. It's what Paul is going to do. He's going to show us that it is not based on our discipline. It's not based on your own will. It's not how good you can keep the law. It's based on grace. And he's going to translate this to the everyday interactions you have with each other, especially in your marriage. Because if you're in Colossians chapter 3, it's right before the famous passage on marriage about wives submitting and husbands loving. And so Paul's got these two connected together. So this morning, Paul will fight for the truth that says that we are to be clothed in grace, not law. And we're going to see that this should transform every relationship that we have, especially our marriages. So Colossians chapter 3, let's begin at verse 12. It says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So the first thing Paul says is to put on, because you look back in verse 8, he has said what not to put on, what, what don't, what you should not wear. Things like anger and malice and wrath and slander, obscene talk, lying. He says, don't do those. Those are not things that honor God. Put those away. But before Paul, notice what he says, put on then, and you think the first thing he's going to tell us is to put on is your pants or your shirt. But Paul begins somewhere else. He says, put on, and then he pumps the brakes. And he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So Paul begins, before he ever says to put anything on, he begins with their identity, he begins with, with who they are. Because clothes can never give you your identity. We try all the time, but it just can't happen. You could, I don't know, you could dress 
all day long like Luke Skywalker, but you'll never be a Jedi. But if you are a Jedi, you then will dress and look like uh, Luke Skywalker. So here it is. Clothes don't give you your identity, but he's going to show you what your identity is. Then he says, now go and wear these. So here's your identity. First of all, God's chosen ones. Means you have been set apart. We are not our own. We belong completely to him. Just as in the marriage ceremony sets apart a man and a woman for each other exclusively, so salvation sets a believer apart exclusively for Jesus Christ, that we are his and he is ours. And Paul says that is who you are. And then he says holy, meaning you are righteous, you are perfect, based on Christ, not on your own works, not on your own merit. If you are in Christ, you are holy as he is holy. God sees you as he sees his perfect son. And then he says, you're beloved or as beloved, meaning you are genuinely and you are perfectly, you are passionately loved by God, that God loves you as much as he loves his son. And so he begins with your identity, he says, because you're chosen and holy and loved. Now, go and reflect that by, by what you wear. And here's what he says to put on. Compassionate hearts. It means caring for the, the hurting and the broken. And I'm so thankful that Bethel is a church that does this. Watching those gather around the Smith family of walking through such a tragedy last week. And it's more than just a concern. This term actually translates bowels of compassion. It means that you are compassionate down deep. It is part of who you are. And from you swells up this heart of compassion. And then he says kindness. It's a readiness to do good. Even when it's undeserved. That you're ready to step into people's lives with kindness and to do good for them. We had Discover Bethel Wednesday night. And just to hearing Paul Keel share about uh, why he loves Bethel. And he said, man, there are 30 people right now that I could call at any moment that are ready to step into my life and help. And then he says, you put on humility. Humility is a posture. It's a, a posture of lowliness and, and of servanthood. I love how C.S. Lewis says that. He says, it's not just thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And it's putting others first in what we think about and what we do. We're clothing ourselves with humility. So not just compassion, hearts, and kindness and humility. Then he says meekness, a word we're not all familiar with. It's a word that means approaching someone's life gently. You have all the power to come in, but you do it tactfully. It's, it's, it's power under control. It, it's like me wrestling with Marcus, teaching him the finer arts of, of wrestling. And yes, I have all the power to beat him every time. But I, you reserve that power as a dad to let him push against you and to knock you down, even though you have the power. But you're, you're teaching him what it means to use the power that he has. But even though yours is greater, you are keeping that power under control for his good. And then patience. 
It means long suffering, to have a long fuse. It's the mindset and the attitude that does not get angry quickly. Let me say that again. It, it, it's a mindset and attitude that does not get angry quickly. Yes, there are times that there is righteous anger, but to be angry quickly and at the wrong things at the wrong time for the wrong reasons, he says, do not put that on, but to clothe yourselves with patience. I mean, can't you see how a, a people walking around with their identity of being chosen and holy and loved and then clothing themselves with compassionate hearts and kindness and humility, how that could transform a church of people that were clothing themselves with that way. And I believe that's what Paul is saying. The best way to stand up against problems and even when there's disagreements is to clothe yourselves in grace, not law. But Paul's not finished. Look at verse 13. First command he gives after our identity of being clothed. It says, bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. So the first thing he says is, bearing with one another, which means forbearance. It means to put up with. That you should not give up just because it's hard. Even those that you're in agreement with and those you might disagree with, you're to never give up on the relationship. You're to bear with one another. Listen, no one is easy to be around all of the time. And I said at first hour because they, they were here, but for my own sanity, I have to know there has to be at least one moment in her life that Kay Bolin was hard to be around. There had to be, just Lord, just give me one, because I know I'm horrible to be around sometimes. But we are to bear with one another. And if one, <coughs> it says, has a complaint against another, because let's be honest, we're all guilty of doing something or saying something that's going to cause someone to have a complaint. You, you can't, you can't escape it. No one is innocent of this. I mean, I know I've done my share. Probably some of you sitting in here, I've done things that you had a right complaint against me. And I hope I came and asked forgiveness for those. But we won't escape it. Being in relationship with each other as the church, there will be times that we have complaints against one another. But notice what we're supposed to do. Because of our sinful states... We'll never be able to escape the offending, but we are to forgive each other. The command is to forgive. We're not to hold grudges. We're not to hold things against each other. We are to forgive. But then the question is, well, how? How do I forgive? And even I want to know, I mean, how much? I mean, how many times do I have to let them hurt me or offend me for me to be able to stop forgiving? And then Paul tells us, as... The Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So how has Christ forgiven you? He's forgiven you graciously and freely. Well, how much? Well, according to the Scriptures, He's forgiven you completely and more than you deserve. So this is how we're to forgive each other. Those sitting around you, when the offense happens, we're to forgive graciously 
and freely and completely and even more than we think they deserve. And I want you to know, man, that's, that's the type of person we should want to be. That's the type of church that we should want to be. In a church that knows that they're set apart and they're holy and they're loved and fully accepted before God, we know that all adds up to one word, grace. Then we're to dress ourselves with compassion and humility and kindness and meekness and patience and forgiveness because we are to be people that are clothed in grace and not law. But Paul's not finished. Look at verse 14. And above all, Put the, above all, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. He says, above all the things, above everything else, put on love. The most important garment you can wear, he says, is love. But this love is so much more than an emotion. It's a commitment to the people that you are with. Because you are brothers and sisters in Christ, we should commit to each other. They were to fight for each other's faith. When someone's faith is weak, we're to step in and wear that cloak of love to bind us together. When that offense happens, we're to fight for that relationship. We should strive to help each other on this, this road that's headed towards eternity. And notice what he says love does. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. So love is the bond, it's the glue, it's, it's the belt that, that holds the, the outfit together. And he says the result is perfect harmony. And I thought, you know what, man, that, that's the church. Man, that's what the church I want to be a part of, one that has perfect harmony. But then I look around and I go, well, I don't, I'm not perfect. And the people I serve with are not perfect. So how can Paul say that love is going to create the perfect harmony? Because I believe that's what a lot of people are looking for. Because it's the first offense. Man, we take our card and we go somewhere else. But it doesn't mean that you're never going to have problems. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have difficulties. It doesn't mean you'll never be offended but what Paul is doing, he's telling us to bear with one another and to forgive. And he's pushing our focus to the end result that one day, all of those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be able to experience perfect love. And we will be able to live in perfect harmony when this world is over. And he says, focus on that. It is coming. Focus and practice wearing love. Learn what it means to be clothed in grace and not law to those around you because one day you will be able to live in perfect harmony. I think, man, this sounds great, doesn't it? But, man, I want to know, how do I get there? Man, I'll put it on. If you'll iron it, you'll wash it, I'll put it on. But how do I get there? How do I get to that place that I know my identity and I'm constantly clothed in compassion and kindness and humility that I can then bear with and I can forgive? Well, he's going to give us two things. He says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is what it says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body and to be thankful so what is this peace of Christ? I believe what Paul is doing is taking us actually back to verse 12. That a peace of Christ is knowing this. The peace of Christ is knowing and believing and resting and that you are chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. Because 
I think I've met some people that really believe that. And when I do, this is what I notice about them. When, they, when you truly believe your real identity in Christ, I mean, those are people that are freed from the expectations of other people. Those people that fully believe in that identity are freed from having to prove themselves all the time. People that know that they are chosen, they are holy, and they are loved are freed from trying to earn their way to being accepted by God. They know they're already there, not based on anything they've done, but only on the name of Jesus Christ. And he says that identity, who you are, it needs to rule your heart. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, not just for yourself, but those around you, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The apostle says nothing will transform your life like the words of Christ. Paul is saying that allow these words, allow the teachings of Christ to become a part of your nature, that they would have a place, they would feel at home within you. Because every day, you and I have to wake up and decide what we're going to wear. We have to decide, am I going to, what is going to rule my life today? Is it going to be my own insecurities? And is it going to be chasing after someone's approval? Is it going to be trying to meet everyone's expectations around me? Or am I going to let the peace of Christ about who I am, am I going to let it decide what I do and what I think and where I go and, and what happens? Will I put on the garments of humility and kindness and patience? Because if we're not willing to allow the peace of Christ, that identity, and His words rule our lives, we will have an extremely difficult time displaying grace to all those around us. But Paul says the truth is that we need to be clothed in grace and not law. You know, and it's easy. For me, it's easy to see how this is great advice for a church that is experiencing division. That Paul's writing them, telling, when there's differences among you, I mean, you know what you do? You bear with one another and you forgive and you focus on what your identity is and then what you're wearing and allow that to work out the problems that are among you. And he's saying that our acceptance before God is not based on what we do and our own self-discipline and what we don't do. He says that's the law. But he says don't extend that then to how you relate to other people. And so I'm afraid that oftentimes we approach people and we're holding up law instead of extending grace. I mean, I think we do that often in our marriages. Do you hold up more law to them? Or do you extend more grace? What about your children and your parents and your coworkers and your neighbors? Because I think the key to any healthy church is two things. And I believe it's the same two things that translate to any marriage. And then it's these two. We need to be able to know how to bear with and we need to know how to forgive. And we need to be able to do both, not according to law, but according to grace. We need to be people, we need to be a church that's clothed in grace and not law. And we need marriages that are clothed in grace and not law. Because you can talk a lot about some great communication skills and how to fight fair and all those things. So some great things that we need to learn. 
But if we can't learn to bear with one another and we can't learn to forgive according to grace and not law, then we're going to fail. So let's do this. Let's look back at verse 13 with the lens of marriage on. Let me read it again. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, if you've been married more than, I don't know, maybe five minutes, that's probably happened. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Because here's what happens. God has put you in relationship with someone that is weak where you need them to be strong. Problems happen. He's put you in a relationship with someone that will never meet all of your expectations. And conflict happens. He has put you in a relationship with someone that is sinful and will never be where they need to be in the image of Christ. And problems happen. So then he says, bear with one another. And forbearance is this. Forbearance is more than just patience. Patience is sitting at the stoplight waiting for the light to turn. But bearing with, meaning forbearance, is patience under attack. That you can be patient, you can control your tongue and emotions when you're being insulted. You can control your anger when you're late for an event and your spouse is still inside using the eye curler. You can control your mind and your heart when you're being belittled and talked down to. He says that is forbearance. That forbearance is patience when it's being attacked. But it's hard. We can't do it in our own willpower. We can't do it according to law. Because when you're being attacked, you know what happens? When you are being attacked, you are coming face to face with the sinfulness of your spouse and your own sin. That is what's happening. So when your spouse is directing their anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying, we need to remind ourselves of two things. The first one is this, is that sin splashes on those around you. Your wife, she probably can't have a bad day and come home and it not splash on you. Your husband can't come home from work angry about something and it not splash on you. And Paul says, you are to bear with one another's sin. You're to weather that storm together. You're to be patient even when you're being attacked. And you do that by remembering how forbearing Christ has been with you. That he endured mental and spiritual and physical attacks without sin. So that when your spouse's sin splashes on you, you would have all the grace you need to respond with patient love and forbearing grace. That we are to bear with one another. We're to be patient even when we're being attacked. And then he says the second thing. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And for me, that is probably the most helpful phrase in all of my marriage. That we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. But it wasn't until I realized that I was forgiving according to law and not grace. And it happens. 
So here's what forgiveness according to law looks like. Forgiveness according to the law says, I will forgive when you say you're sorry. Forgiveness according to law says, I will forgive when I see you being really remorseful and sorry about what you've done to me. Forgiveness according to law, it says, I will forgive you when I feel like you have suffered enough. I might give you the silent treatment. Forgiveness according to law says, I will forgive when I'm ready. Forgiveness according to law, it says, I will forgive when I see a better pattern of behavior in your life. We like, at least I like forgiveness according to law because I get to be in control. I get to be in charge. And I, I'm, what I'm doing really is I'm trying to forgive as long as they repay that debt. And when they've done and they've paid their penance and they've, I've seen certain things, then I'll forgive. But Paul says we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Christ forgave me graciously and freely and completely and even more than I deserve. So he says, don't forgive according to law. Forgive according to grace. So this is what according to grace looks like in forgiveness. Forgiveness according to grace says, I will forgive because I have been forgiven by Christ. Forgiveness according to grace says, I will forgive even before I see remorse. Forgiveness according to grace says, I will forgive and I will not withhold my love and affection. Forgiveness according to grace says, I will forgive not because you deserve it, but because it honors my Lord. Forgiveness according to grace says, I will forgive without demanding repayment for the offense to me because Christ has already paid for it. And then here's the kicker. Forgiveness according to grace says, I will never have to forgive my spouse more than Christ has forgiven me. You see, forgiveness according to grace, it's scary. Forgiveness according to grace causes us to trust God to work in our spouse's life instead of our list and our law. Forgiveness according to grace forces us to give control back to God. Forgiveness according to grace is forgiving without demanding repayment for the debt that's been incurred. But aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that Christ doesn't forgive you according to law? But it's according to grace. It's freely and it's graciously. It's completely. And it's more than you deserve. But why does he do this? Why does he demand us to forgive that way? I believe it's because marriage is the greatest instrument of sanctification anyone will ever experience. Because someone you are with and you are married to is someone that will always need your patience under attack, and they will always need your forgiveness. Your spouse will never be beyond that. But God has put you with them to forgive and to learn how to bear with them so that you can show your spouse the love of Christ through your forbearance and through your forgiveness. That you get to practice what that is to them and they get to learn it from you and vice versa. And then the beautiful thing happens. 
is then your children get to watch you blow it. And they get to watch you be impatient. And they get to watch you not uh, showing forgiveness. But then they get to see Christ get a hold of your heart. And you to bear with them. Even when you're being patient, when you're being attacked. And then they get to watch you forgive according to grace and not law. And I promise you this. That if you're bearing with and you're forgiving according to grace and not law, it will transform your marriage. Because here's the beauty of bearing with and even forgiving according to grace and not law. When your ears hear and your eyes see sin and the weakness and the failure of your husband or your wife, it's never by accident. It's always grace. Because God loves your spouse and He is committed to transforming him or her by His grace. And He wants you to bear with them and forgive them according to grace and not law just as God has done that for you. And man, that is what our church needs and that is what our schools need and that is what our city needs and that's what our world needs. Our world needs marriages that are clothed in grace, not law. Let me pray. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for being able to come back to a campus that I love dearly and seeing so many people that mean so much to me. People that I have watched and seen in their personal lives and in their marriages, how they have bared with one another, how they have forgiven each other. And that has been such an encouragement to me. And I pray that I have learned from them to do that more often with my wife, to bear with and forgive as she has for me, that hopefully my children have been able to see that. And so, Father, for all of us, wherever we will be this week, that you would grant us, through your grace, what we need to bear with those co-workers and those family members and those neighbors, and that we would be able to forgive graciously and freely and completely and even more than people deserve. Help us to live this way among the people that we're with and especially in our homes. And may we be a church that will model that to the world. And so, Father, it is by your Son that sits at your right hand that will one day come and call his bride home. And by your Spirit that empowers us to live out this truth, we say amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.